The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And there are so many great bands and artists touring this summer. Everybody's out. And that's why I figured it was a good time to have a good friend of mine on the show to give us a little behind the scenes look at what it takes to make, well, not just one of these mammoth tours, but two of the biggest tours running smoothly. I'm talking to my friend uh, Foster, who works for both Metallica and and the Rolling Stones uh, backstage, her official title is Dressing Room Coordinator. But as you'll hear, she does so much more than that. She's been with both bands for over 20 years. She's officially full-time with Metallica, but she goes out with the Stones as well. as like, what, is U2 not hiring? She's like, yeah, I work for U2 as well. And Van Halen, amongst many others. Foster is the one responsible for setting up all the backstage rooms at each venue, nine separate rooms on the Metallica tour, and 15 for the Stones. That includes every Everybody in the band's individual dressing rooms, Mick Jagger, James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, Keith Richards, plus community rooms like workout rooms, catering, warm-up rooms. She escorts the band to the stage every night and gets them post-show to go back to the dressing rooms. She makes sure they have everything they need before they hit the stage and everything they want the moment the show is over, including a cheese pizza for Lars Ulrich. She's sharing details about the pipe and drape required for the Stones' various dressing rooms and the personal touches she finds and includes for each band member. For both bands, she's actually uh, shopping for a couch for Mick Jagger during this interview. She's also sharing stories from the time she tour managed VH and went on the road with you too. An incredible backstage look at Metallica and the Rolling Stones and touring in the summer stadiums in general. Coming up with Foster. But first, I'm headed back to the UK next month myself for the Jericho Chronicles. Telling stories and answering your questions is going to be uh, different stories, a different theme each night. Tickets available now at itrtix.com. July 4th in Glasgow, Scotland at SWG3. July 5th, Belfast, Ireland at Limelight. July 6th, London at the Grand. The VIP tickets sold out for London, but we uh, 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 released a few more. Get your tickets now on itrtix.com. And if you live in Canada or the States, you'll have another chance to come rock with Fozzie this fall. We're doing another round of dates uh, for the Save the World Tour around the U.S. and Canada and the U.K., England, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and Australia and New Zealand as well. Check out all information for tickets and our VIP at FozzyRock.com. We start September 8th in Columbus, Ohio, in the United States at the King of Clubs, all the way through December when we hit Australia. So Fozzy is heading your way. Uh, go to FozzyRock.com for all the information and ticket details, all the information on our amazing VIP package. 
All right, let's go backstage on the Metallica and the Rolling Stones Summer Stadium Tours with my friend Foster right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. So I'm always looking for interesting uh, people to have on Talk is Jericho after uh, almost 900 episodes. And one of the most interesting people that I see once every, well, now it's been once every two or three years, is uh, my friend, uh, Canadian Brethren Foster. If we're doing the lead, has the uh, enviable job of working for Metallica and the Rolling Stones. And I always say, was you two not available, Foster, to get the trifecta here? Hey, I did a month with them. (laughs) There you go. Wow. Okay. Now you're just showing off. (laughs) But here's the best part. When um, uh, we were talking the other day about about doing uh, one of the Stone shows, I asked you to do Talk is Jericho, and I kind of just did a Google search to see if you'd ever done anything before. I had no idea that your name is not actually Foster, it's Heather. How did you get the name Foster? Oh, geez. I was out with uh, (laughs) some friends in university, and uh, we're sitting at a bar, and we all decided who we thought we looked like. And at the time, I was young (laughs) and skinnier. And long blonde hair, and I looked like Jodie Foster. Oh! Everyone just kind of went with that. I can see that a little bit uh, uh, of the Jodie Foster thing going on there. Thirty-five years later. Well, if 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 Foster is your nickname now, you're welcome to tell everybody what you know me as my nickname. Really? Prom date? She she introduced me to when we were touring with Metallica in uh, Australia, which was the um, what was that called Soundwave tour? Yeah which was like a five-show stadium tour. And that's when I met most of the Metallica crew. So you go, this is prom date. <laughs> and the reason for that is I went to the prom with Judy Duncan in Winnipeg. One of my best friends. One of your best friends. And that's kind of how we got connected. Because there's also Stacy Stacy Jennings yeah. as well. And Shan Jackson. Yeah, this whole crew of girls went from Winnipeg to Toronto and you guys all hooked up and, and became friends. How did you know that I was prom date? <laughs> you know, I don't even remember how it came up. But we must have been talking about you. And I think you were coming through town, maybe doing a wrestling thing. And it just sort of came up that you went to prom. And then we started going through Judy's old albums and found the photo. <laughs> and I got to say, your mullet is spectacular. It's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So, so this is so interesting, like I said. So, so you have... Both of these crazy cool jobs. And it seems that whenever I want to go to the Stones, you're working with Metallica. And whenever I'm at Metallica, you're working with the Stones. So uh, before we get into the history of it all, how does that work for you? Because it's so weird because the Stones do like 15 shows a year, but it's usually during the summer. I'm assuming that's Metallica is usually out in the summer as well. So how are you able to juggle that with both of your respective bosses, I guess? Well, sometimes I think that Lars and Mick sit down and talk and they're like, okay, how do we divide our time? <laughs> but that is not actually how it happens. I'm with Metallica full time. That's just a given. So I'm always with Metallica in any off time. If the stones go out, I go over to the stones and I'm just really, really lucky because that whole production, the band, they're totally cool with me. I'll do all the advance. I'll do all the sort of groundwork on the computer, but they're okay if I miss some shows. I mean, it's been 20 years. So they're kind of, I think, used to seeing my face. So, Well, and once again, this, this is not blowing smoke. I mean, that shows that how valuable 
you are to the organization. Like we have, sure. you know, obviously Fozzie is a much smaller crew, but there's a, a couple of people, one in particular, Avery, who's our tour manager and she's my day to day as well. I wouldn't want to do it without her. And if she got some other gig where she was going somewhere else to be like, okay, well come back whenever you can don't leave, you know? And, and that's cool to know that you have that type of freedom. Yeah. I'm very, very fortunate. Very fortunate. So who is technically your boss in both camps? I would say it, it is the band. It gets down to the band because if I do anything that they don't like, I will be told. Right. I would say the production manager and the band manager. They're the ones that can get rid of me. But but much like, you know, once again, in our, in our much smaller world. So Lars and Mick, you mentioned, they're kind of paying attention who's on the crew and kind of have an overview of who's who's around. Sure. Absolutely. Even if someone gets injured, I've seen band members be like, are you okay? They're very aware of who's around them. If anyone gets injured, if anyone is sick or, or if they're not there for whatever reason. So what is your, what is your job with Metallica? I mean, if it's the same with the stones, but what kind of, what is it that you have to do for both bands? Yeah, I'm their dressing room coordinator. So I set up everything backstage from their rooms, what goes in their rooms, what goes on stage, what goes in their quick changes on stage, everything from catering to toiletries to making, I don't know, the room look how they like it. So does each band, obviously at this level, does each guy have his own dressing room or is it more of a common room? Different for both bands. Mm. Well, tell us about Metallica then. Metallica is all one. They like to sort of be together and get ready for the show together. And Oh, wow. They're one big happy family. Not saying that the Stones are not, but uh, they've been also touring. This is their 60th year, the Stones. So it's unbelievable, right? And they have different styles. You know, like Keith, we all know, smokes a lot. And not everyone wants to be around that. So they have their own individual rooms. It really isn't a hateful thing. It's just they have different styles. Sure. That's, that's big business. Absolutely. I get that. So what do you have to do to, to put together the Metallica dressing? Lots of pipe and drape. <laughs> Actually, with Metallica, not so much. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's more for uh, the Stones, for sure. With Metallica, it's just they have very specific rooms. Uh, so they have a dressing room, they have a food room. So it's kind of what they want on the road also could be what they like at home. So mm. If someone likes to do yoga, then they'll get a room so they can get ready for the show and do yoga. If someone wants to get a massage, if someone, each room, we have nine dressing rooms on Metallica. So each room has a different function. So what are the nine rooms? Like you said, like each thing is delegated to a different activity or something along those lines? Yeah. Of course, there's the wardrobe room. That's my room. And I have to just sit there with all the wardrobe and all stuff. <laughs> and then there's yeah there's dressing room there's a a room with like a dining room i think the fans all know about the tuning room that they go into of course we see that all the time yeah yeah and then there's just some other personal rooms that they like to hang out in so when you're talking about let's say because the wardrobe for example with metallica black shirt black jeans i mean kirk wears some fancier stuff but with james there's not a lot of capes and cowls and that sort of a thing so <laughs> well there was a bullet belt Come on. That's right. That's yeah. true. The, the jean jacket with all the patches. Yeah. Yeah. Is it one of those things like Richie Rich's closet where you open it up and there's 10 of the same thing? Or is it the same one? That you have, do you have to wash it every night? Like that sort of stuff? For James's vests, he has one of a kind. Uh, someone has designed those and made those for him. Sarah. 
Gustafson. She uh, she put all those patches on. So they're one of a kind and they are Sarah made. Right. That for those particular items, there's one. That's it. Other things like black T-shirts. When I go shopping for them, I get maybe 50. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if I don't have to wash them every night, I don't. Because <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, they can change their shirt up to five, six times a night. Oh, during a show, they do that. Yeah, during the show. I guess if you're like in some kind of South American country, or if it's raining out or something, we always see those. Because Metallica's, Metallica's all stadiums almost at this point. Yeah, well, they're everything. But yeah, mainly stadiums at this point, yeah. So like for, just sticking with Metallica for a bit, like, you know, when you when you see Metallica go to stage, sometimes you're there, you know, shadowing them. Like, what are you, are you just helping them get to stage? Are you knocking out any ninjas that are trying to attack yeah. them? Or what's kind of the reason for that? Yeah, I know. I just roll them in their wheelchair to the stage and then they, <laughs> <laughs> no, they, uh, getting to stage, like, it's just a matter of like, oh my God, I forgot my ears, the inner ears with the pack for sound. Sure. All of a sudden who knows, like there could be a pick missing or Lars, you don't want sweaty hands when you go play drums. So I just have a towel so he can wipe his hands. So they're dry. Um, it's just doing the last minute little touches to make sure that they're perfect. They go on stage and everything's fine. It sounds to me that you're, you're much more of a day to day, you know, moment to moment type almost a stage manager or assistant stage manager, because, you know, you mentioned wardrobe and dressing rooms, which is one whole area, but going to the stage with the guys. I mean, this is now like, Hey, Foster, where's my ears? You know, where's, where's, you know, yeah. that's kind of more encompassing. Yeah. It's, it's so different too. Like, cause every band is different. And with these guys, when they get to the venue, after I've set up all the dressing rooms and I've done all that, once they get to the venue, it's like, I kind of turn into their assistant. Gotcha. Which is fine. Like, obviously, I love my job and I and I like keep going. A lot of people, when the band gets there, they go take a nap on the bus or whatever. Yeah. I just keep going. So I sort of help them get ready for the show as well. Whereas like the Stones, once they get to the venue, I check with them, make sure that their rooms are great and the temperature is fine, the internet's working, whatever. And then their assistants sort of take care of them. Gotcha. So I, I can get a bit of a break on the Stones. Because I know even like when I, I go to the Stones or whatever, you, you sometimes you come out to meet me and give me a pass or whatever it is. So then you got to deal with the guests that you know as well and go out into the wild <laughs> if need be. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, right. Huh? But uh, <laughs> yeah, Stones, I get way more time to go out and chat and hang out with people. I remember one of the, uh, the stories in Australia is I was backstage after one of the gigs and you were, uh, uh -oh. you were running like... Where's Lars's cheese pizza? He needs his cheese pizza. Where is it? He's off stage in 10 minutes. Where is this pizza? Yeah. Was that the phase that Lars went through where he had to have his uh, cheese pizza after every show? Well, I mean, sure. The <laughs> style of food changes, but I'm yeah. sure even you, like after you get off stage, maybe it's Thai food you want or a beer or whatever it is, you know, like right. everybody wants something, even like after anyone works out. I mean, I just went for a run. I come home and I usually eat eggs and drink water. Yeah. So, yeah, he wanted that specific thing. And <laughs> when it's not there, right on time, <laughs> just saying. We had a show in uh, Brighton because that was, gosh, that was 10 years ago now that we were over in Australia. It seems like it's such a long time ago. Yeah. 
but I took a picture of a, I had, we had a pizza after this, the show. And I, I photocopied a Lars picture and put it on there and put Lars's pizza and send it to him. He's like, that's fucking cheese pizza. It's fucking great after a show. I love it. <laughs> it's easy too, especially if you're getting into the car right away. Yeah. What's the easiest thing to eat in a car? Pizza. Pizza. So what happens then after the show? Like, are you there when the, you know, Seek and Destroy ends? Are you there with the towel on the stage and help them go back? Because they walk right through the arena because they play in the round. Yeah, yeah. At least now they do. So when that show is done, you, you grab them and take them back through the crowd and, and kind of what what's your job at that point? Yeah, I make sure they have their robes and their towels. Actually, if they're coming back to the dressing rooms, I just make sure the showers are turned on, they're nice and hot. Oh, wow. And their assistants will get their robes on them. But if they're leaving straight from the, straight, the stage to their cars, I don't really do much. They just go to the cars and I start tearing down. Pulling a runner. That's what they call it. That's what they call it. Yeah. <laughs> Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So, so let's go into more of the Stones, because what you mentioned as far as their wardrobe, because I just saw the Stones and you were with yeah. Metallica in November, I think. Crossing paths, yeah. Yeah, and hook, hooked me up with our other friend, Chubbs, yeah. who used to work for Metallica, now he works for the Stones. It's like it's a small world, right? Oh, it's a tiny world, yeah. I'm just so happy, too, because when he did leave the Stones, or left Metallica, I was like, oh, I'm not going to work with you again. And then he got hired with the Stones. It was like, yes. Yeah, he's a good guy. Oh, he's a great guy. But at that level... These guys want the best of the best, right? And and so that's kind of how the word gets around. Of like, we need a head of security. Well, this guy left. Try give him a try, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much word of mouth. And if people say nice things about you, you're in. Right. Right. <laughs> it's right, a work right. ethic, you know. Like sure. When you're talking about the Stones, is it kind of the same thing? With you mentioned, you know, it's not as crazy but you're still doing dressing rooms. You're still working with wardrobe and the stones have a much more immaculate wardrobe. When you see them on stage, like they have a real designer yes. and they look great. And each guy has, I noticed each guy's a different color and it just looks like cool. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. a little bit more intricate there than going to buy 50 black t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely a little different. That's why the two bands are so vastly different. The only thing I really do for wardrobe is push the road cases into a room and there's two women that kind of deal with the wardrobe and they are full on. I don't I feel like seamstress isn't quite the word because it's what they do is they they're artists, what they can make. Gotcha. So they deal with all of their wardrobe and we'll help them anything they need. If you know, power fails because they have every iron plugged in, like we'll help them out for sure. <laughs> but with the stones, it's, I mainly take care of dressing rooms. Unfortunately, now three main band members yeah. set up their rooms and then there's, you know, the side musicians and the horns and the singers and stuff. So it's crazy in a different way than Metallica. Mm -hmm. The Stones takes two days to load in, whereas Metallica won't take two days. Why is it just because of the size of the stage or, or the production or? For, well, for dressing rooms, I can only speak for dressing rooms. It's because of the amount of rooms we have. There's probably... 
I think we're up to 13 or 14 rooms. We used to be at 17. So we've actually cut back. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's the amount of rooms. And on this one, it is pipe and drape for every single room. Every room has its own theme. So you want to make sure that it's dressed properly and it has the appropriate couch and the appropriate drapery. And yeah, it's very, very different. So explain to people that might not know, like you said, the pipe and drape. And we, we make a joke about that. I remember yeah. when I came and saw Metallica in like Madison, Wisconsin, right when Blackened Whiskey came out, that's when we were laughing about the pipe and drape. That's when Lars had that on Golden Pond hat and that big beard. And I was like, dude, what's wrong with you? You're the, the representative of heavy metal. You look like Henry Fonda and on Golden Pond. Uh, <laughs> but there was a lot of the pipe and drape set up back there. So what's the pipe and drape with the stones and what exactly is that? And what does it do where the guys want it? So pipe and drape is the dressing rooms start in any venue. It's a locker room or it's just a right. plain boring room with white or beige walls that are probably beat up from some other tour. <laughs> so we want to mask that and make it look pretty. So we drape every single wall in every room on the stones. So we also put it up in the hallways for privacy when people are walking by the hallway so they can't enter a certain area. Pipe and drape is used for ambiance and protection from privacy or for, for privacy. So you mentioned some themes. So like what like what does Mick want as a dressing room? What does Keith want? What does Ronnie want? Because I know Ronnie's always painting and he's doing the set lists and yeah. I mentioned Keith smokes. So like kind of what what does each guy require for those rooms? Uh well, I can't get into too much detail, but I would say, you know, everyone knows Keith to the point of he likes pirates and he likes, <laughs> you know, baggy clothes. And so his his room is a it looks like him. A little darker and it's got cool like statues of skeletons and just awesome. Like it's, it's, it's my favorite <laughs> room. Awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> lots of candles and lots of, yeah, he's got lots of great ambiance. Yeah. Ronnie does his, uh, the set lists every night. So his room is very artistic, really. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of things in there that inspire him. And I hang some drapes over the pipe and drape that just give the room some, some texture and some color and are his painting supplies part of that where you have to get put in every night and set up and everything because you gotta yeah people don't understand like when you see you know the stones are with 25 trucks of you know staging and gear some of that is for this dressing room that's get carted in every day like skeletons or in the trucks going across <laughs> well, the country they're little skeletons they're not <laughs> okay okay <laughs> they're just little statues <laughs> it's you know the easel comes in he has his paints. He has special markers that kind of look like paint. He has, and he's got kids. And so we'll get little small canvases for the kids to paint. And they're really artistic yeah. too. So that, that room is always, it's a lot of fun. That room is, yeah. And then what about Mix? Mick is very, he likes surfaces and I don't know. There's not a lot of stuff. It's very clean and not a lot. He could, he could fit into a smaller room because he just doesn't have a lot of stuff which is great for me <laughs> does he do an extensive warm-up because once again on stage in november even though he's 78 or whatever he is i mean he still moves moves like jagger like yeah. he looks great <laughs> on stage he sings great but there's a lot of you know even me at 51 on stage as, as a as a frontman i'm always thinking about making i'm like i don't know how he does it it's obviously muscle memory and but the cardio is there do you ever see him warming up? What is his routine for the day before a show? 
I do set up a little warm-up area for him. I personally have never seen what goes on in there. I know there's music. I think if anything, he, and this is literally just a guess, but he probably just like loosens up his limbs and, right, you know, which I think a lot of us have to do at our age. I'm 50, you're 51. Like, yeah, right. But you're right. Like being on stage, from what I understand uh, from his trainer, he trains like that. So he trains intensely, not just before the show, but, you know, before the whole tour, he'll train, you know, do serious training for four, five minutes, let's say four or five minutes, and then he'll stop and bring his heart rate down for a minute and then go back. So it's very much interval training, which is why he can sing a song, run across the stage, and then the song ends and he's talking to the crowd and he's not out of breath. He is absolutely incredible the way he can do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I struggle with that. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I get that now even wrestling. How do you do all these things that you do at your age. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's great. But I have a guy that I look up to that can <laughs> yeah. do it. And he's almost 30 years older than I am. I know. Even on my run today, I was starting to die out. And I was like, okay, you know what? <laughs> if Mick can do it, I can do it. <laughs> WWMD, what would Mick do? Yeah. yeah. What is your uh, interactions with the Stones? Do you see them as much as you see, you know, Lars and James and the guys? Or? Probably not as much, but definitely I'm always there as soon as they arrive and welcome them to their room kind of thing. And I, mm -hmm. I make sure that they're happy and comfortable. And then I just sort of get out of their way. But I mean, sometimes they'll wander the halls and, you know, Keith will come over to our little dressing room department and hang out and chat and laugh. And yeah, so we do see them. It's just not as much as I would see Metallica. It's a long story, but I met Keith at Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy said, if you want to meet Keith, be here at 5 p.m. And I'll introduce you to him at, in, at 30 Rock. So you're at 4.30. Yeah, yeah. So I went there. <laughs> we go into his dressing room and, you know, there he is. And like when you first see these guys up close and personal, it's like, oh, my God, it's a real man. But he had this ashtray and Jimmy goes like, hey, we couldn't smell your cigarette smoke. We didn't know if you were in here. He's like, man, I got this ashtray. You put the cigarette on, it sucks the smoke down, man. And I was thinking to myself, my grandma had one of those in like 1978. It's not that big of a deal, Keith. <laughs> but just the best guy though, man. He's super fun. And like what you see is what you get with him and all his interviews seems like a pretty yep. jovial, cool cat from the half hour that I was around him. Yeah, he's such a great guy. Like he, years ago when I first started touring with them, they, on Valentine's Day, he would make sure all the girls on tour got a massive bouquet of red roses. And always a little card that said, from Keith. That's cool. It's just so sweet. Yeah, he's a really sweet guy. Always looking out for us. See, but guys, and, and you know this, Foster, because you've been around for so long. Like, guys at that level, once I mentioned it earlier, like, it's hard to find great crew. It really is. So when you find somebody that, that you want there, you want to make them feel part of the family. Yeah, making them feel wanted and and comfortable it's huge i mean it's the same in any work environment i would think yeah of course but yeah like these guys every once in a while i look over and i'm like oh my god i gotta pinch myself like this is who is like talking to me right now and this is who's sending me flowers and this is who's you know like it's but yeah they want to be around people that they like and they have fun with and so do i so <laughs> Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! 
It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you ever have, like, uh, any gatherings or, or, or parties outside of the venue? Like, kind of tell us about some of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like at the end of the tour or beginning of the tour or someone's birthday or... I would say... They've chilled out a little bit over the years, but the Stones used to always have, it wasn't necessarily band related, but the steel guys that, that build the massive steel stage on the, in the festival sites or stadiums. Right. So they're there for about a week. So there was always, there's two steel teams that leapfrog each show and the steel teams would fight with each other to get the best party. So <laughs> two big parties would always happen every tour because they they were there for a week so they could organize this and that and all the booze and all the food and entertainment and <laughs> so those parties were epic and amazing but there's always a tour and party so i'd say a week before the tour ends absolutely there's always a party that the band actually arrived to and yeah just thank everyone and those are those are pretty epic parties too and where would that be? Like at a restaurant or at a hotel ballroom or? Could be. Could be anywhere. Yeah. Whatever's available. I remember there was one in Mexico that was, we rented at a whole restaurant and it was such an amazing party, but we've done it in hotels as well. I remember, um, I'm not sure if you were there, but it was in Brisbane at the Soundwave and Metallica had a beginning of tour party where um, they invited all the bands to go. Yes. Do you remember this? Yeah, it was crazy hot. It was crazy hot. It was Ugh. outside. Yeah. And I remember our, our old drummer was like, as if Metallica is really going to be there. You know, they had big buses to take us. I said, well, no, like Lars told me that everyone's there. And he's like, no, as if. And we get off the bus and there's James greeting. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? And it's like just the whole, like Lars had, had told me that he had, put together like a book someone to put together a book of all the bands look at pictures to see who if he could recognize anybody and just really put a lot of time into making everybody feel welcome yeah you know at this big giant tour you know they they do that a lot they whether it was at the front of a tour or the back end of a tour and they always invite any of the openers if it's a festival they'll invite all the bands we're all like-minded people. Yeah. We're all in the entertainment industry. We all have things to talk about. Let's just do it off of stage. Let's just have fun. Like music is fun. Touring is fun. Traveling the world is fun. Yeah. What a great, what a, like I said, what a great gig that you have. So let's talk about how you got these gigs. Like how did you come into both of these amazing camps, the two biggest bands in the world in yeah. so many ways? How did that all come about? Yeah, it's crazy when I think about it. I was in high school and I just, I had some jobs. At, in Toronto? In Toronto. I just got these local jobs in uh, restaurants. There's dishwashers, line cook, whatever. And a friend of mine got a job at a catering company. She said, you should get a summer job here because they cater all the shows that come through Toronto. So you can go and see all these concerts. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Right on. Let's do this. So I got a job there and I was cooking and 
I don't know, like just did that for years. It paid all for university. It was awesome. Went to university thinking I was going to make something of myself (laughs) and get a real job. But then as soon as university ended, the owner of that catering company got a call from the Stones and said, we want to tour with a caterer. Do you have a crew that could come with you? And he called me and I hadn't spoken to him for probably five years. And he was like, I don't know what you're doing in your life, but hey, do you want to go on tour with the Rolling Stones? (laughs) I was like, uh, let me think about that. Yes. (laughs) It was, yeah, pretty crazy. And at the time, my, the house that I was renting, I was renting the top floor of a, a house and it had just burned down. Oh, so I had pretty much no clothes. I had nothing. So I was like, I'll have the smallest suitcase ever. I was good to go. (laughs) That was the universe telling you it was time to go on tour. Totally. So pretty much the Stones like gave me my wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) You had Stones shirts, Stones uh, pants, Stones socks, Stones underwear. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) So you started as a caterer for the Stones? Yeah. Yeah, my first tour, I was uh, catering. They rehearsed in Toronto. Which they always do, right? Yeah. Or they did at least, yeah. I was um, catering their rehearsal. And then when we went on tour, I switched over to catering for the crew, which I thought was so awesome because I just got to meet so many people and so many cool people. Mm -hmm. And it was through meeting all of those guys. As we were saying earlier, it's a small community of, of roadies. Right, 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 right. And met someone that also worked for Metallica. And she was leaving to go to Metallica after a year of this tour, she was leaving and asked me to go with her. And she asked me to do dressing rooms with her, which I was shocked. So I'm like, I'm just a caterer. (laughs) But uh, she said she really likes working with caterers because of the work ethic and the long hours and they just sort of get it. Mm -hmm. And so I went and all of a sudden learned how to fold clothes and (laughs) set up (laughs) couches. And yeah. So when you, start kind of making inroads with with both of those bands because like you said like we have people i mentioned avery earlier she started as merch and then kind of assistant tour manager and then she's really good at so she's the tour manager like you said i'm just the catering person the more valuable you are the more skills that you have the more valuable you are so are, are you doing more just on your own like hey if you need some help let me shadow you or are they just kind of appointing you now you're doing this and now you're doing that I mean, I've always stayed in the dressing rooms. I haven't really gone towards any production or I did a really, really brief stint of tour management with um, Van Halen. That was a Canadian tour. (laughs) Yeah, another one. (laughs) Another notch in the old belt. But (laughs) that was only for a month and it was a Canadian tour. Uh Yeah, I did some tour management, which was really, it was so different because it's kind of like dressing rooms, but it's in the hotel. So it's making sure that the band is cool and comfortable with their hotel room, making sure they have all the needs on that end and then getting them to and from the venue. What was it like tour managing for Van Halen? Any, uh, it was this with one of the Roth reunion tours? It was. Do tell. <laughs> I don't know. I was, cause I was there for such a short time. They didn't really get to know me. Yeah. And I was filling in for a friend that was, you know, jumping on another tour for a bit. And it's easier sometimes for a Canadian to do the Canadian tour. Right, because you understand, yeah. Well, yeah. And I think there's visas and extra costs that goes into hiring someone else. So, yeah, I didn't get huge amounts of time with them. 
I was pretty much dealing with the three guys because David just sort of did his own thing. Oh, really? On his own bus. Did his, yeah, just did his own thing. Makes his own arrangements sort of thing? Yeah. The Van Halen's cool to you? Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun tour. That was, I really wanted to continue with them, but then I got the Metallica call. (laughs) (laughs) Then you mentioned before you too, you did some time with them. How did that one come about? That was also meeting someone on the Rolling Stones and it was just rehearsals for, I want to say it was about a month and a half in Vancouver. I was catering. I was helping a little bit in the dressing rooms, not much, but it was, yeah, I met a lot of really cool people on that tour as well. So it's just great meeting new people and seeing how different dressing rooms are set up and how different bands tour differently. So what's the difference between like a U2 dressing room and a Van Halen dressing room? You were asking me to go back 15 years. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking though, like, like you two would be a little bit more like poetic and Van Halen a little bit more like Jack Daniels rock and roll. But that's the cliches. <laughs> I don't know if that's even true or not though, right? I believe they were sober Van Halen at the time. I can't really remember. But um, I would say you two was, yeah, it was more elaborate for sure. And they had a, they had a personal chef and they had a dining room that they would be served at and stuff, which is great. Yeah, Van Halen was just a little bit more rock and roll and just a room is a room. Who cares? Let's go <laughs> go out there and play. Which is what you would expect, right? Yeah, yeah. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Let's talk about, like, when you're, you know, Metallica and, and, and the Stones, etc. I mean, obviously, you're going to get a lot of VIPs coming around backstage to hang out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell us about some of those encounters of, of who's been around. Like, who's big enough to... To get to go backstage to meet up with the Stones. Oh, you name it. Oh, really? Like, it's crazy. (laughs) Of course, there's a few names that I'm still like, let me know if they ever show up. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I remember Johnny Depp was doing the Pirates of the Caribbean and Keith was playing his dad. Yeah. I, I mean, especially any New York shows, London and L.A., there has to be a whole different room to just handle all the celebrities that come through. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I think we had that in uh, the Metallica gig in Atlanta, which is probably the last time I might have seen you, was, you know, waiting to meet up with Lars. Actually, it was Lars' assistant, I think. But everybody's kind of in the holding room. And they go, oh, there's Greg Nicotero. And there's like whoever's in Atlanta hanging around. Yeah. But do you have to kind of delegate? Or do the guy, are the guys open to this? Because sometimes it's hard to meet so many people like is there a certain time like okay from 5 to 5 30 that's when we can come say hi or how does that kind of go yeah and and i think i can't say for sure but i i think there might be some discussion with like their assistants so maybe you know like mix assistant and someone's celebrity assistant they get together and they talk and they'll be like does mick have time before the show or does Keith have time before the show? Like, it's more that than I would say the band going to a room or being pulled. Mm-hmm. I'd say the coolest thing that happened recently was in the fall 
the U.S. women's soccer team came through. Oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And they, the band was told that they were coming, so they were all sort of waiting out in the hallway, super excited to meet them as well. So it was very, <laughs> like, oh, are they here yet? Are they here yet? We have to go on in ten minutes. Let's go. Like it was, yeah, it was really cute to see. <laughs> they're excited at the soccer though, because they're guess so they're all into soccer because they're English. Yeah, or because it was girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't say. Yeah, a little no. bit of both, right? Yeah. yeah who knows? <laughs> what are what are some of the like the major differences that you see? Because obviously the Stones are the Stones, and Metallica is the biggest rock band, or, or one of the top two or three. Is is there a difference in the backstage vibe? A difference in the production? A difference in the audience reactions? Like what what, could, what do you see between those two bands? There is a difference for sure. I don't know if I could pinpoint it. It's just it's definitely different vibes. And maybe you nailed it there with, you know, Metallica's rock and they just have a, a harder vibe backstage and the Stones are rock and roll, blues, a little bit, you know, more mellow. And there's age difference, of course. Yeah. Metallica's still go, go, go. Whereas the Stones are like, I'm going to go for a few months and then we're going to chill. And we're not going to do back to back shows. We're going to do maybe three shows a week. And that comes across, I guess, in the backstage. Like you're not as rushed and you're kind of like chilled a little bit more over there. Right. But as far as the audience, like every audience, I love watching the beginning of any show because it's just, you see the audience just like they're anticipating and everyone knows like that song, the next song the band's coming on. Or when you hear, you know, ladies and gentlemen, welcome the Rolling Rolling Stones. Like (laughs) you just see the audience go nuts. But I do have to say, there is something special about a Metallica fan because it's just, you can feel that build up. And then when the band comes out, that absolute explosion is I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Like they just are so into it. And it's just so amazing to watch. I think for me, like there's something like you mentioned, the drama of ecstasy of gold, which is Metallica's, you know, yeah. intro song. And it's a, Enrico Morricone, you know, good, bad, and the ugly, very, you know, orchestrated, uh, classical, but it's very heavy. Yeah. When that plays, as a fan, you are super, like you said, the the goosebumps are coming. And I think the difference for me between Stones and Metallica is I grew up with Metallica. Metallica started when I was 13 and I was there from the start. So this is kind of, the Stones have always been there, but the Stones are a couple generations older. And when I go to the Stones, it's almost like going to, like I'm saying this, I'm not saying this because they're dinosaurs. I'm saying like you go to Jurassic Park and see this amazing creature that once once it goes, you'll never see it again, right? Like there'll never be another Rolling Stones. It's impossible because the world has changed. And you mentioned like Stones 60. Yeah. So that's almost at a different level of Metallica because now it's almost like this legend amongst legends, you know? Yeah, for sure. Can't uh, snub your nose there at uh, Metallica at 40. That's amazing. No, I agree. I love the fact that Metallica fans, you always think, oh, they got to be our age because we did grow up with them. Yeah, yeah. But it's so interesting to see the kids because the parents are bringing the kids. Right. These younger generation Metallica, there's a kid in Toronto that he busks and he plays guitar and he lo- he was always wearing a Metallica hat. And he's got to be like 14 years old. <laughs> I see him on Instagram and I'm like, what the hell? Like the Metallica fans are getting younger and younger. Like they're not going anywhere. And the Stones, you do look out and they are a little, a little aged, 
there is multi generations at Stones gigs too, though. Absolutely. I think like I noticed in Atlanta that there was a lot of lot of girls at the show, and I think going to the Stones is almost like going. It's like some kind of prestigious. You know, going to see like, you know, Pavarotti, if he was still alive, like, or Andre Bocelli. It's like, even if you're not into the tunes, just going is like a night out on the town. And it's, you know what I mean? It's something cool or whatever. Right? Yeah. I've had, I've taken friends to Stone's shows before and they're like, yeah, I know the Stones. I think one of them, you know, oh. <laughs> she's like in the audience and then listening. She's, oh my God, they sing this. Yeah. Oh my God, this is them too. I didn't know that. Like, just shocked that she knew so many Stone songs. Like, yeah, they've been around a while. They've written a couple uh, catchy <laughs> yeah. tunes, a couple toe tappers. <laughs> yeah. We mentioned Charlie before, and 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 how he recently passed away, and the band continued on. Kind of tell us a little bit about your interactions with him, and seems to kind of the the consummate rock and roll gentleman, and obviously largely missed. But from your personal side of things, and and how did that affect the Stones? Uh, especially the three guys going forward. Yeah, that was a tough day. It was a tough day. We knew it was coming. Did you? Okay. But it was like anything, like it, it doesn't really hit you till it happens. Right. Yeah. When it happened, it was, we were at rehearsals and rehearsals were canceled and the crew sort of got together at our hotel and we bought some champagne and popped it, had a few glasses and just told Charlie stories. And it was such a nice way to sort of remember him. And as you say, he was a constant, wonderful, he was a gentleman down to the core. Like he'd walk into the venue and he's dressed perfectly. <laughs> he'd go, he'd say hello to everyone. And then he'd go right into his dressing room. He'd get ready for the show. And then he'd come back out and he'd continue to talk to people, walk around. He loved hanging out in wardrobe and he'd get a little espresso and, he was such a fantastic guy. He, I feel like we had a bit of a connection. Oh yeah. He's pescatarian. I was pescatarian. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. He actually asked me about my nickname once. And cause he always calls me Heather. <laughs> he was like, what's this foster thing? What is that? And that's a horrible accent. So I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but he asked me about it and I explained it. And then he actually started to call me foster a little bit. And uh, he's just, his sense of humor was so great. Like he's, he was such an awesome, awesome guy and definitely, definitely will be missed and is missed continually. Like we've kept uh, a picture of his dressing room sign. We've kept it up on our road cases. And oh. every time we open the road case, we see it. And we're always like, hey, Charlie. It's interesting to me that you were kind of, and once again, you are part of the Stones Inner Circle to where you're hearing about this. And you said you knew it was coming because the world did not know. Uh, obviously, Steve Jordan was brought in, but it was under the auspices that Charlie would return and everything was going to be fine. Well, me knowing was probably like a day and a half, maybe two days. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm not in that much of the inner circle, but yeah. So when the guys resumed rehearsing, was it sad or, you know, the show must go on? And did they, did they kind of tell us about how that was? Because the show was great when we saw them with Steve Jordan. He definitely was the perfect choice, but obviously it's not Charlie, but the three Mick, Keith, and Ronnie, I thought, did a really good job of paying tribute to him, but still getting on with the rock and roll and the business yeah. of the Stones, you know? I think the first show was a little difficult. Uh, I think I only, because I'm backstage, I don't really see the shows, but I think there was a, a moment Mick spoke to the audience and yeah. he got a little choked up and I never spoke to them about it. Um, I obviously said, you know, I'm sorry and, you know, we had that quick bit of a chat but 
they were pretty good. They obviously took the day off. They, who knows what they did to remember Charlie and do their own thing, but they came back and they were, they were ready. And Steve Jordan, he's just such a good guy. And he constantly just wanted to respect every song the way Charlie would. And it was such a good group that it was okay to move on, even though it was hard as hell. Right. Charlie was their backbone. I heard an interview with Lars and he said something about, you think you're dancing along to Mick. You're actually dancing along to Charlie. Mm -hmm. Like he was a big part, big loss. Do you have a favorite Charlie story? Oh gosh. I don't even know. <laughs> it's so funny because working in dressing rooms, I try to, I don't know. I just, I, cause I'm not supposed to talk and I'm not supposed to tell stories. So when things happen, I kind of put them out of my head and gotcha. try not to remember them. But uh, I try to think of what I, what story I told when he did pass in that big crew dinner, but I, or drinking, not dinner. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what it was. There's just so many. I, I do remember a time actually he, it had really nothing to do with me, but I think we were in uh, Poland. His whole family came to visit him and he, I was like hanging out with friends and we went to like the main sort of square. We were having some beers and all of a sudden you see Charlie and his family walk by and not one person in that very busy square was bothering him. No one was like crowding around him. He could just walk around and blend in and just be the coolest rock star ever. And I think people, even if they did recognize him, they'd be like, oh, that's Charlie. We're going <laughs> to let him be by himself and do his thing. Whereas I think if you're Mick or Keith, they go, oh my God, Mick. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually stole the idea where Mick goes to a city and they post pictures on Instagram of him kind of wandering around. And he's always by himself. And I'm like, Okay, there's like a barricade of guys around him, making sure there's nobody around. Like it's not like Mick's hanging out with the people. It's like, nah, he's probably just taking a picture. I'm like, yo, stay back, stay back. You got the picture. Come on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? The power of Instagram. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Last few questions for you. You just mentioned something briefly when we first got on. Uh, you said you were looking for a couch for Mick or something along those lines. Do you do other work for him outside of the touring? No, this is for the upcoming tour. Oh, okay. So you actually have to carry the couches. Yes and no. So we usually have a vendor in Europe. They'll carry the couches. So they will be the same at every venue. But because every tour is going back out, right? everything is just happening this summer. That vendor has 
overcommitted. So we are now going to each individual city to try and find the correct furniture to fit the vibe of each room. So wow. <laughs> it's a little bit more difficult, but uh, I'm sure it'll happen. It's amazing. Though. I was laughing like um, last summer when I think it was Motley Crue and Def Leppard, like, yeah, we're going to postpone the stadium tour for another summer. And the Stones are like, oh, really? Hold my beer. We're going out this summer. <laughs> and it's going to be great. We're going. <laughs> hey, it happened. Last year we did it. It was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was amazing. I want to know on with each band, when did you get in the most trouble where you did something where they got mad at you or you screwed something up? Well, I, unless you never have, because you're perfect. Oh, no, I'm perfect. <laughs> Nothing's ever gone wrong. Have you ever gotten in trouble? Well, <laughs> no one really yells or I don't think I've actually ever gotten in trouble, but has someone said like, why isn't this here? Or where is that? And I'll just be like, oh my God, I forgot to put it out. I'll go get it. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that I've, I've actually messed up horribly that I've been yelled at. I guess that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. So all the toothpastes in the rooms and all the deodorant yeah. and the cheese pizzas and yeah. everything worked out good. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Last questions for you. Um, favorite city that you like to go to? Cause you've been around the world with both bands and both bands are internationally huge and tour probably 50, 60 countries over the years that you've been out. Cause you've been out since, since at least 2011, probably before that. When did you start? I started touring in 2002. With Stones? Stones. And the Metallica started with was 2003. Gotcha. So it's like 20 years now. So you've had some pretty cool places. And on your- I've Inst been some places. On your Instagram, you like posting like different structures and- Yes. I do like photography, but I don't like to put myself in the photography. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Jodie Foster? Yeah. I don't want to confuse people. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a certain uh, place you like to go? Yeah. I, I love Japan. Mm. I- love going every time i hear that there's a possibility i just all of a sudden get excited yeah but i gotta say the coolest place i've ever been it was with metallica and it was antarctica yeah getting on a boat going across the drake during pretty much a hurricane and then getting down to antarctica and hanging out with the penguins like it was just it was some place that i honestly never thought i would ever go and this is when Metallica went to do a show there because I think it was a, a kind of a combination. They wanted to play all seven continents in a year or whatever it was. Yeah. Tell us about that show because it was it was a different type of show where they played kind of outside, but they played in headphones because you couldn't disturb the animals and that sort of thing. Yeah, you can't disturb the environment at all. So it was in a dome. It was a clear dome. Yeah, everyone had headphones on and pretty much throughout the whole show because I took them on on and off all the time because I sort of had to stay there with Lars <laughs> every time I took them off all you could hear were the drums <laughs> nothing else you just hear the drums and the very cool thing was that he looked behind because the the dome was clear and the penguins were like just waddling up <laughs> oh what's going on here like it was it was so weird I'm like this is what's interesting you <laughs> sure okay <laughs> That's what Robert was telling me. He mentioned that because there's no humans, the penguins are just kind of like wandering up, like, what's up? Like, not scared or worried or just kind of hanging out. Like, what's up with you guys, you know? Yeah. It's pretty cool down there, I got to say. I mean, no other band has ever played Antarctica. Not that I'm aware of, but no. And I'm also assuming that the whole crew wasn't there. Once again, like, you're one of the important crew that Foster has to be here. <laughs> yeah, it was 
Well, skeleton crew. Yeah, it was mm. definitely backline guys, sound. I don't even know if there was lighting there because it was yeah, it was outside daylight for <laughs> yeah. twenty three hours a day. So <laughs> that's pretty killer, though. It must make must make you feel pretty cool that you're kind of in that position with that band. Like you're not you're not going anywhere. Well, never say never, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm very very fortunate. I work hard every day to make sure that that's the way it is. Like I never take anything for granted because yeah, you just never know. It's, look at the past two years, right? All of a sudden, anything can happen. So. It must have been, I know it was weird for me after being on the road for, you know, almost 30 years and now you're home for six months or eight months. I mean, it was a little bit nuts. Yeah, I went a little crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, last question for you. What's your favorite Metallica song and what's your favorite Stones song? Oh, oh, interesting. I want to say just today as I was finishing my run, For Whom the Bell Tolls is like, I don't know. There's something about it. Yeah. Every time I'm walking in the barricade and that song comes on, all the fans I'm sure can see me. Cause I start doing the drumming, <laughs> the doo-doo, doo-doo, like, I don't know. I love that song so much. Creeping death. I mean, there's, there's so many. Yeah. Wow. The stones again, the catalog is just it's crazy. Ridiculous. But I don't know. I like bitch. I like, uh, you start me up. I got to say is pretty good. Cause, uh, Every time Start Me Up comes on and it's the first song of the show, it means I can start tearing down the dressing rooms. Oh, <laughs> So I'm always like, oh, you start me up. Cool. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Starts you up too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's great talking to you. This has been awesome. And I, uh, like I said, I'm planning on coming to London for the Hyde Park show, but you won't be there, which is the third time that's happened. I know. <laughs> I went to two Stone shows and you were with Metallica. I went to one Metallica show and you are with the Stones. So one of these days I'll- uh, I don't know how that could have happened. Because I have to be with the Stones, or I have to be with Metallica. So. Louisville, they played Larger Than Life just this summer, and we. Were, I was there. Oh, you guys were bubbled though. That's right, we were talking. You were bubbled. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I was trying to get you on the stage, and it was yeah. Yeah, and, and Lars was like, "Well, you got to get better seats." I'm like, "You're on in ten minutes, dude. Don't worry about it." So, oh, can you got to stand over here? Like, are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> "It's fine. It's cool." So I just waved at everybody from the state from the yeah. front area there, but. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get a chance to see you again soon and yeah. not be in such a bubble. I know, it's right? Been, yeah, for sure. But say hi to all of the uh, prom dates for me. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> the Toronto crew. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully we'll see you on the road soon. Yeah, absolutely, man. Very cool. Thank you. All right, see ya.